Grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, and especially those of you who are visiting with us today. We're so glad that you came to worship with us this morning. In each one of the pews on the center aisle end, there is a friendship pad. It's a black folder, and we'd love to have you fill it out and let us know that you're here with us today, whether you're a regular or whether you're visiting with us. You'll see some announcements that are in our bulletin. This evening, Dr. Robert Weingartner from the Presbyterian Outreach Foundation is going to be speaking at 7 o'clock in Tankersley Hall. He's going to be talking about the ministry of the Outreach Foundation and particularly about the Tumaini Children's Home in Kenya, where many of us sponsor children. 7 o'clock tonight in Tank Hall. Also, we're beginning sign-ups today for our August AWE at-home hospitality hour. That's a chance to meet one another, get to know some of the new people. If you're new, this is a great place to get to meet people. You can sign up on the patio for that. Next Sunday morning at 10, our adult education is going to be George and Annika Fallas talking about their recent trip to Greece and their ministry among refugees and orphans there. And also you can see that the Third Friday group has begun to publish their schedule for the fall. They'll begin signing up at the end of the month for that. Each week this summer, we have been featuring a servant in the congregation, and this week we are particularly featuring Bud Schaefer, who is our lead uh, usher and who is today 80 years old. So congratulations, Bud Schaefer. Happy birthday. If you hang around till after second service, there's birthday cake for him, but you have to wait a while before you get your birthday cake. You can go to adult education, second hour, and go to Bible study, and then you can get cake afterwards. Um, you can see also that today is the anniversary for Jackie and Brian Pearson, and they're celebrating their 50th anniversary. So we congratulate them. We think they're in Hawaii celebrating today. Wow. <laughs> and we have a guest, guest preacher this morning, Jeff McCrory. He is a pastor in our presbytery, and he's also an adjunct professor at Fuller Seminary, and we're delighted to have him. You often see Jeff playing in our praise band. And uh, his wife, Barb, is usually here in worship with us. She's a member of our church. And Jeff's going to be the speaker at Men's Retreat this year, too. So listen up and see if you want to come to Men's Retreat. Jeff, will you lead us in prayer? Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we rejoice that you are king, that you rule despite what looks different around us. We come this morning into the splendor of your holiness and ask that you would involve us Jesus, in your relationship with the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit as we worship. For it's this reason that we're here. In your name we pray this, Jesus. Amen. Join me in the responsive call to worship in your bulletins. 
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Say among the nations, the Lord, the Lord is, is king. king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. And let us stand and praise God together. Sing the mighty power of I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and filled the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his Blessed be your name, Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Blessed be your name, the land that is plentiful, through streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, I found in the desert place, I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Blessed be your name, the sun shining down on me. The world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, the road marked with suffering. There's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Let us be seated as we continue in song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, church, this morning. Things of earth will grow strangely dim. Oh, soul. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? Oh, light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, and life for a And the things of earth will 
as we approach the throne of grace, hear our call to confession. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Let us pray. O God, your people have always had their fears. So we come to you in humility and with honesty naming our own. Lord, we fear the future. What is coming next? Lord, we fear the pain that comes with illness and broken bones and aging. Lord, we are afraid of people who are different from us, those more powerful than us, those poorer than us, those of different color or creed, those smarter than us, those with different personalities. We admit, O oh God, that we are fearful of stillness and quiet. It seems as if the last thing we want to do is slow down and be attentive to you. Forgive us when we forget your word to us. Your word that says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power, my power is made perfect in weakness. So we will boast all the more gladly of our weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in us. Forgive us as we turn to you. Renew our lives here and now. Hear us now, Lord, as we come before you with our personal silent confession. Amen. Hear God's word. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Thanks, Thanks be to God. to God. Amen. good for me to be with you and actually to see you head on. I, I typically look at your profiles, and you all look pretty good from head on. So it's good to be here with you. Uh, I told the worship committee uh, that I might attempt a full Jerry today and get out here without any kind of podium or anything, but I'm going to do a half Jerry. So if you'll let me do that, because I have some books up here that I'm going to read from and things like that. I do like to teach uh, and to preach uh, from a lectern like this and move about. But it's wonderful to be here with you. And we're going to be looking at a text today. If you get out your Bible and you turn in the Old Testament portion of the Scriptures uh, to page 731, 
I want you to get there and then put your finger like I'm doing uh, right in your Bible there and hold on to it for a second. Uh, when you're there, take a look up at me. I feel like I'm in my class teaching at Fuller. Okay, everyone look at me. Before we read this, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a time or at a place where you didn't want to be? The exiles to whom Jeremiah was writing these words, we'll read in a few minutes ago, were at a time and a place where they didn't want to be. About four years ago in my life, I was at a time and place where I didn't want to be. What does the Lord say to us at a time and a place where we don't want to be? There's a text for us that we're going to read. Where is this text and what time is it? The text comes from Jeremiah 29. Uh, this section actually begins in chapter 27 of Jeremiah. Where are they? They're in Babylon, modern-day Iraq. They are in exile. What time is it? It's 597, actually probably 594 B.C., 597. The cream of the crop, the king, and everyone else was dragged off to Babylon. They were in a time and place where they didn't want to be. They were in exile. And like Psalm 137 says, how could they sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Here's what the Lord says through Jeremiah to people who are living in such a time and a place. Hear now the word of God as we read Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 7. Now these are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, to the priests, to the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So you're going to read the words of a letter here. This was after King Jeconiah, or Jehoiakim, he's known by another name, and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans, the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, son of Shaphan, Gemara, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon, to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Boy, I got through all those names. Here's what it said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exile whom I, that is the Lord, have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Take wives for your sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me as we begin? Almighty God, wherever we are today, Whatever time it is, speak a word to us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may recognize your presence here and now. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I asked you a question a few moments ago, and I'm going to ask it to you again. Have you ever been in a place and a time where you'd rather not be? Four years ago this fall, God sent Barbara and me into, I want to put quotes around this, exile to Long Beach. Some of you have driven up to Long Beach. It was a place and a time where we'd rather not have been. Because six years previous to, to this time, we had been up at Geneva Presbyterian Church. I've been pastor there for about eight or nine years. We were in our ninth year. Uh, to be honest with you, we were beat up, bloody, tired, and needed to go. The church had done this previously to the former pastor. He had only been there three years. We made it through close to nine years. The reason we are down here is because you took in a bleeding pastor and his wife, uh, Beth took me into the band, and I began to sit over here in the quarter. I can remember the first Sunday we came back to worship. We had stayed away from worship for about a year. I was sick of churches. I didn't know if I'd ever go back into church again. And we sat right back here where my wife sits uh, at the second service, and we were singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, tears were pouring down our cheeks. We were beat up. We were bloody. I was 58 years old, and I began to apply for um, church positions, teaching positions, only to find out that people don't want a 58-year-old bloodied pastor. So after about 30 no's, later on I began uh, to hear that the Lord was trying to direct my life, but for me I was hearing no, 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 no. The executive presbyter of our presbytery, Steve Yamaguchi, called me and he said, Jeff, would you like to go up and preach at Little Brown Church up in Long Beach? I had been without a job. I'd even applied for a job as a marine mechanic down in the harbor. I said, yes, I will go. I didn't care. So we began driving back and forth up to Long Beach to preach at this Little Brown Church. Now, there were in the congregation by that time, the church had been there since 1905, there were about 12 people in the congregation, and they had a big pulpit. It was much bigger than this. It's up way high. They wanted me up in the pulpit, uh, preaching to these 12 people. I called them the batteries not included people. Do you ever remember that movie with Hugh Crone and Jessica Tandy? It was a mo mo movie about a little apartment building in a downtown city, and they were building high-rise things all around it, and this little bitty apartment building within which this motley crew of people lived. One guy was autistic, and he watched TV all the time, and all he could say was, batteries not included, batteries not included, batteries not included. Well, this was my congregation. Up in the pulpit, looking out them, there were three or four Koreans there. There was a Japanese woman and her daughter. There was a black family. There were some longshoremen types from Long Beach, and that was it. I would sit up in a preach, and they would say things like, that's right, Jeff, that's right. And I began to think, this is fun. <laughs> Their idea of evangelism was uh, representative of the sign out front, right there on Atlantic and Fifth. You looked at the sign, and see if you can, this is a little quiz to see if you can follow along with it. It said this, C-H blank R-C-H. What's missing? You are. And boy, people were missing from that congregation. 
One Sunday, I was up preaching in the pulpit here, and I began just to have this ongoing conversation with the people instead of just to preach regularly, and I would say things like, isn't that right, Beth? Isn't that right, Linda? And so I was up there, and I said something, I don't know what it was, I can't even remember now, about adultery. And back here sat Michelle, she's a longshoreman, she said, preach it, Jeff, and she whacked her husband. (laughs) As I kept preaching about it, she kept whacking her husband. Later on, I found out she was whacking her husband because, this is Long Beach, her husband was sleeping with her brother. And she was talking about it all over the place. I mean, there are no filters in Long Beach. You kind of get, it's all right kind of out there. This was the group. It was a broken down church and congregation. And you know what? It fit a broken down pastor and his wife. I loved it. It was the last place we wanted to be. A broken-down church and a broken-down pastor. The text that I read to you today came from a broken-down people and a broken-down polity. Let me tell you, because it's an important text. This is a very important text in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 27 through 31 is a set of letters that are to a group of people called the exiles, the word gola in Hebrew. Uh, What had happened uh, during this period of time Nebuchadnezzar, that's one of those things you're going to have to spell to get into heaven, Uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had come west in 597 B.C., 6th century before the time of Christ, and had knocked down all the walls uh, and taken the cream of the crop, the king, all of the artisans, all of the queen, all of the officials, taken everyone off into exile in Babylon. And there began to be an argument about when God was going to bring him back. After all, the temple was still there. The presence of the Lord was still there. And so one prophet by the name of Hananiah, who was a Yahweh prophet, and also Jeremiah, got into a big argument in chapter 28 about who, when God would bring him back. Jeremiah was at that time wearing a yoke around his neck, walking around as sort of a symbol that, yes, We need to get under the yoke of the king of Babylon. Hananiah broke the yoke, and they got into a big fight there in the church service. And Hananiah said, "Uh, God's going to bring him back in two years. And Jeremiah says, boy, I hope so. I hope you're right. And then he goes to sleep that night, has a dream. The Lord speaks to him. He said, Hananiah is going to die. So Jeremiah comes back in, and he says, Hananiah, you're going to die. That night he died. So this is the kind of stuff that was going on. Also over in Babylon, there were two prophets, one named Zedekiah and one named Ahab, and another person named Shemaiah who were saying, God's going to bring us back after all. We're God's people. How could God keep us in exile? Later on, what happens with uh, Zedekiah and Ahab is Nebuchadnezzar burns them alive and then kills Shemaiah. So it was a fun time for the people of God. By 587 B.C., 10 years later, Jerusalem is completely destroyed. There is no temple, no presence of the Lord there. There are no priests. There are no kings. There is no land. Is there God? Do we just now settle down and worship Marduk of Babylon? What do we do? It was a terrible time. It was a terrible place. These people were in exile. To people in exile, God's word shows up. I want to ask you a question now, 
and I want to be careful with this term, are we in exile in our culture in the West at this time? I want to be careful with it because we're not Syrian refugees. We haven't been forced out of our homes and been pushed into Europe and all over the place, but that metaphor is out there in our culture, particularly in theological circles. Now people are talking about, are we living in exile? What time is it in our culture? What place are we living in in our culture? If you're thinking about me, I was watching the opening of the Olympics uh, on Friday night, and to be honest with you, I was waiting for something to happen. I just kept watching, and I kept thinking, when's the bomb going to go off? I mean, with what's happened all over Europe now, we were in France last summer. Uh, we were down near Nice. We weren't uh, quite, we were down in Provence, and uh, I was thinking, I could have been there, blown up on, on the beach in Nice, you know, the guy who's driving through stuff. We were in Paris uh, last summer. Our daughter was over there for a mission trip, and we showed up. Europe is a mess. And then I was listening on the radio just uh, for all of the stuff that's going on in Turkey, the coup that's going on there, the Middle East with ISIS. When's this, stop? When's this going to stop? In our culture. Many of us would feel disoriented on our culture. At least we're in a post-Christian America. I know we're in our PCUSA denomination. We're in a post-denominational time. This is one of the joys I've had being up in Long Beach is I'm kind of outside the ghetto now. I'm in the ghetto of Long Beach, but I'm outside the church ghetto. It's an election season. How many of you are comfortable during this season? I don't care which side you come down on. All of us would rather be, I would say, maybe you not, might be, would rather be in a different time and a different place than we are. I was talking to my brother in Tennessee recently, and uh, I come from Knoxville, Tennessee, and he said, Jeff, I'm so sick of watching the news. What I do at 6 o'clock is I watch the Andy Griffith factor. I was reading a book recently, this is why I had this uh, lectern up here, called The Fractured Republic by Yuval Levine. Yuval Levine is a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. It's a think tank for people who are, uh, have religious values and also think about what's going on in the world. I want to read you just a few statements from Yuval Levine's book uh, called The Fractured Republic, Renewing America's Social Contract in the Age of Individualism. Yuval Levine is a Jew, very smart young man, Ph.D., University of Chicago. And he talks about our culture here. Here's what he says. That disorientation that we're all feeling itself has been a defining feature of American public life in this century so far. It's as if we cannot quite figure out where we stand or where we're headed. In a peculiar way, we have tended to understand this era of certainty not so much as a transition, but as an aberration. And so we've spent the past decade or more waiting for a return to normal that has refused to come. Does that sound accurate to you? Republican and Democratic parties each have portrayed our country as the victim of a malicious interruption perpetrated by the other. Democrats talk about public policy as though it were always 1965 and the model of the great society. Welfare state will answer every one of our concerns. And Republicans talk as though it were always 1981 and a repetition of the Reagan revolution is the cure for all of our ills. 
And then he concludes with this. We have spent the beginning of this century drenched in nostalgia. Both left and right, according to Levine, are practicing a politics of nostalgia. Our culture, I think what he witnesses to, whether you agree with him or not, is in a disruptive time. We wish we were somewhere else. What time is it? Oh, it's a bad time. Where are we? Not where we want to be. In Jeremiah's time, Jeremiah wrote these words, and I love this, Jeremiah 29, 7. I'm going to repeat this and then talk to you about it for a moment. Jeremiah 29, 7, and in the English it talks about welfare, but in the, in the Hebrew text it uses the word shalom. He says, seek the shalom. And the word shalom in Hebrew doesn't just mean peace, it means the presence of justice and righteousness, right relationships within society. Husbands, wives, families, community, uh, organizations, um, cities, states. Seek the shalom of the place, interestingly enough, the way uh, Jeremiah puts it from God, where I put you into exile. Do you notice that? Where I put you into exile. Pray on its behalf. For in its shalom will be your Shalom. It's a unique text in all of the Bible. It reminds me of Jesus who says, pray for your enemies. In fact, as in some of the commentators on this particular text that it's unique in the whole Old Testament. No one asks you to be praying for your enemies in the Old Testament. But here Jeremiah does. Stay here in Babylon and seek the shalom for the city where you find yourself. I think this is a word for us in the place where we are in the time we are right now. Four years ago, I told you that the Lord exiled us up to Long Beach. That was the best thing that's ever happened to me in ministry. I thought it was going to be the worst. God said, Jeff, stay here, pray for this place, and seek its shalom. I remember David DeLong, he's the sexton up there. He's been there since he was a little boy like this. Special needs guy, he met his wife in a special needs class, wonderful big, he and I, uh, in fact, his, his birthday is this next week, we're, gonna, we're both 63 years old, and we're going to celebrate his birthday together. And I remember when all this was coming down, uh, they had a meeting up there, and Barbara and I had gone to get uh, some lunch, they were having a meeting with the presbytery, and then we came back afterwards because they wanted us to come back, and here comes David DeLong, he weighs about 250, 300 pounds, he comes juggling out like this, and he goes, Jeff! Jeff, you can be our pastor. And you know what? For me, tears were coming down my face. I can be their pastor. I get a chance to be with these people in this place in a time when I thought I didn't want to be there. Four years later, right now as I speak, I started walking the streets of Long Beach, up downtown Long Beach. It's a very interesting town. Uh, it is the one of the 20, I think a few years ago, the 25th largest city in the United States, same size as Portland, Oregon. You wouldn't know it by thinking about it. It is number one in the largest cities in the United States in ethnic diversity. Has the largest Cambodian population outside of Cambodia. Has the second largest gay population outside of San Francisco in the state. It is Latino, it's black, it's Asian, it's all kinds of things. I remember driving up there early in the mornings uh, on the way up there to preach. 
There were, as you come down the streets, there were women who were out far too early in the morning to have been there. There were guys who were riding down the street on their big bicycles with their handlebars, no shirt on like this, you know, with a hat on backwards. And I thought, this is not Laguna Beach. It was refreshing. It was wonderful. Four years later, we have developed a team of seven mission partners. We have a Korean group that's in the church right now that was part of the original congregation that started a church, a Brazilian apostolic Catholic congregation uh, that is wonderful. The first Sunday they were there, uh, I met Rodrigo, Pastor Rodrigo. There were 12 the week before. Uh, the next week, were, uh, we came and helped them clean up everything. The next week, there were three to 400 walking from the neighborhood like ants coming to a picnic. God was doing something different there. There is a retired Roman Catholic priest we do homeless feeding uh, with regularly. There is a group on Wednesday night called Northeast of the Well. Some of you know that from your mission committee. Started out with four ladies coming out of uh, prisons and also halfway houses who were involved in prostitution, drugs, and all kinds of generational sin. There were three or four of them there two years ago, and now we have 50 and 60 on Wednesday nights uh, with kids uh, program alongside of it. There are some young hipster outreaches going out of the church. as a woman who does spiritual direction outreach using art, uh, and Long Beach is kind of artsy-fartsy, so it's a kind of a fun thing for her to do. Anyway, there's seven of us uh, together seeking the shalom of the city. It's just what I needed. And it's just what I think Little Brown Mission needed. No longer 12 people there any given week. There are probably five to 600 people in and out of that building. Also, when I was going through this six years ago, when I was up the hill, uh, Barbara and I went through about a year of counseling to figure out what was going on with us. What was our part? What, what did we need to learn? What was happening? But after finishing that, I came out and I said, I'm not so interested in finding out my own psychological stuff. Where's God in the middle of this? So I began to go to a spiritual director. One of the reasons, again, I'm here is because Jerry's kind of my older brother. He's older brother to a lot of us here, I know. And I began to go to a spiritual director. I began uh, to train in spiritual direction. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I got a certificate in spiritual direction, not just because I want to be a spiritual director, but because listening and paying attention is what I needed to be doing. The key thing I'm learning, and this is the title of this sermon, is to pay attention here and now. Here and now. Oh, about, I think about a year ago, didn't you all start the 40 weeks journey thing about a year ago. I was talking to Kathy about it. My wife and I were involved, somewhat involved in getting you all going on this 40-week journey sacred story prayer. In that development of your own prayer life, uh, you spend 40 weeks going. It takes about a year to go through, and you come up with a five-fold prayer. And this is my version of the five-fold prayer. The first movement is creation. And when I say, I even said it this morning when I got up, creation, Lord, it is here where I encounter your love for me. Presence. Now is when I see you present in life. The third movement is memory. Here and now, you're going to surface wounds caused to me and wounds I have caused so that they might be healed. And then the fourth movement, uh, mercy. It is through your forgiveness and my forgiveness that my sacred story is going to progress. 
and then finally eternity. Through these practices, you're preparing me for the kingdom of God. This morning, I want to focus on here and now. Maybe you're in a place where you don't want to be right now. Maybe you're in a time when you don't want to be right now. Barbara and I were until we heard the Lord's voice say, I put you there. That was a hard word for us. I remember waking up one day and Barbara came in the room. She said to me, Jeff, God did this to us. That was hard to hear. God did this to us. Did you notice in the text in Jeremiah, it says, Nebuchadnezzar took them into exile. Then the word comes from the Lord, and the Lord says, the place where I put you into exile. It's part of our Reformed tradition to talk about the sovereignty of God. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Even the things we go through, God is involved in, and God is there. Maybe you're in a place in a time you don't want to be. In my own life, I would encourage you, it is here where we're going to encounter God's love for us. And it is now when we're going to see God present in our lives. A few weeks ago, uh, sitting right here at the piano, she's not here this morning, Amanda uh, Johnson handed me a book. And I brought the book here. And I thought, what's she handing me a book for? It's called unlikely by Kevin Palau. Some of you know Luis Palau, the sort of the Latino uh, Billy Graham. Uh, Amanda and her husband Eric are up in Portland right now. Our son and daughter-in-law and our grandson, whom we will see next weekend, live in Portland. And this is a book that is about people reaching out in Portland. And she gave it to me because Portland, not exactly, but it's a lot like Long Beach. Half a million people, hardly any Christian presence downtown. In fact, as our PCUSA is almost abandoned downtown except for us, and I'm trying to say, please don't cut us off. This is a good place to be. I was reading it. Uh, I just read it and just ate it up, and the first chapter uh, is called Good News in Portlandia. Any of you ever see the Portlandia thing? It's kind of funny. And he begins this way, I live in a town where 8,000 citizens cycled naked through the streets to remind the community of the impact of cycling on our environment and traffic. No one bats an eye, not even the police. The mayor simply tells them, be safe out there. Please wear shoes and a helmet. <laughs> and it goes on from there. The Northwest is one of the most unchurched, pagan parts of our country, but I love it because it's one of the most open now for hearing the good news of the gospel. And Kevin Palau and a group of people and churches all over Portland have now gone to the city. They did it four or five years ago and said, "What? how can we serve you? How can we be present here? No strings attached. And at first, they didn't want to do it. And then uh, all kinds of things began to happen. Now in Portland, there are over, I think, 200 or so schools, and each one of them has a church attached to it that is serving that particular school. Uh, and they're doing things. They'll go to the mayor's office and say, you know what, this year you have budget cuts. What got cut, and how can we help? And they have sought the shalom of the city in which they... I read this, and I just devoured it because it reminded me of what's going on in Long Beach. I say that not to recommend Long Beach to you, but to recommend where you live to you. How is God asking you 
to seek the peace and the shalom of where you live. Maybe it's just right your next door neighbor. That's where it begins. I started thinking about that. I don't like my next door neighbor. He take, always takes pictures of our yard and everything I ever do. He comes over and says, see, look at this. Look at this. And I'm thinking, okay, how can I seek the peace with Eric? He lives next door. How can we seek the shalom of the place in which we are living? I think the word of Jeremiah to the exiles is a word to us here in our culture today. Not to try and want to be in a place and time we're not, but to find God where we are at the time when we are. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, even as we say these words, we think of John's statement that your word became flesh and walked among us. It was a weird time to show up. It was a time when the Romans had hold of things. It was a violent time, and yet you showed up and walked among us. Now in the place and time where we are, may we see your presence walking these streets, for it's here that you want to love us, and it's now that you want to see us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now we have a chance to respond to God's word with what God has given us and blessed us. With gratitude now as the ushers come forward, please give your morning tithes and offerings.
church, let's stand as we sing verse 4 together. God, in the midst of all the turmoil within us, among us, in the world, in the church, so propelled by anxiety, you have planted yourself in your great fidelity. You show up amongst us in steadfastness and abiding care, present in the day, alert in the night, and we are grateful so we pray for this world and this nation where you have placed us, that you will give us grace and wisdom. We ask that you will give grace and wisdom too to the powerful of our world, whose decisions have great influence. Empower them to use their power for good and to resist the temptation to abuse that power. Hear the cries today of the weak and the powerless of our world who find themselves in desperate places where they really don't want to be. Those for whom today's another day of struggle, lived in hunger or under the yoke of oppression, under the threat of abuse, the violence of war, great illness. Have mercy, O Lord, on the people of Syria, of South Sudan, the refugees, we do give you thanks for the birth of Isaiah Garbutt Welsh to our missionaries. We pray for the healing of her mother, Luta, as she has a long recovery and several surgeries. As we bring you these gifts, we thank you for the privilege of participating in your work here and around the world. We pray for the day when your kingdom comes in its fullness, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
book of Numbers, uh, the Lord says, repeat this blessing to Aaron over those who are out there in the congregation. And may the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Shalom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.